ourselves to you this morning. Illumine us in all that we do here. Allow us to see your face and know your truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our scripture lesson, first reading this morning, comes out of Matthew, 11th chapter, 28 through 30, verse. It's on 966 in your hymn book, in your Bible, Pew Bible. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. This is the word of the Lord.
Our scripture lesson this morning is going to come out of Second Chronicles, chapter twenty. I know maybe you don't go to Second Chronicles often for your devotional reading, but if you're reading through the Bible, you'll get to those those passages. So maybe it's a good idea that we go there and spend a little bit of time. And we're going to spend the next three weeks right here in chapter twenty of Second Chronicles. So tighten up your seatbelt. We at First Presbyterian Church believe that the Bible is God's truth, God-inspired, living, active, uniquely and fully inspired by the Holy Spirit, the only infallible way of faith and practice. So we need to know what it says, old and new, familiar and unfamiliar. So hear God's word as I read it to you out of Second Chronicles, chapter 20. After this, the Moabites and Ammonites, and with them some Minuites, came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, A great multitude is coming against you from Edom and from beyond the sea. And behold, they are in Hazan Tamar, that is, in Gedi. And then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord and from all the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. And he said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might, so that none is able to withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And they have lived in it and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name. Saying, if disaster comes upon us, the sword judgment or pestilence or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. And now, behold, the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade, when they came from the land of Egypt, and whom they avoided and did not destroy, behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. O Lord our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Let us pray a moment. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for this word. We pray that your Holy Spirit would interpret this word to our hearts. Truly, Lord, teach us your truth. Change us. Make us just a little bit more into the image in which we were created, Lord. We want to be your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning we begin this series which I call When Trouble Comes. 
And, and obviously, from the scripture passage that I just read, Jehoshaphat and the people of, of Judah were in trouble. And for the next three weeks, we're going to look at this little passage from the Old Testament, this story about this king, Jehoshaphat, who was about the fourth king along uh, after the uh, division of the land. And if you've ever watched cartoons, you've heard this, this king's name before in some of the good old Bugs Bunny things. And I thought that was the only Jehoshaphat that there was. When, when Bugs' character, not Bugs himself, but the character in that cartoon would say, you know, jumping Jehoshaphat. And, and that's not exactly applicable here. Uh, it isn't a biblical reference at all. But it's a fun way to remember how to pronounce this guy's name, Jehoshaphat. So Jehoshaphat was a king. He was a king of Judah. That was the southern kingdom after, after, the king, after uh, Solomon's kingdom was divided. And it's somewhere around 900 B.C., after David, after Solomon, and after the division. Like I say, Jehoshaphat was about the fourth king in the line after, after the division. The Bible says that he was a good king. He wasn't perfect. He made mistakes like you and I. But he was, he was all in all a good person. He was a good king and a good leader. And the reason why this story is interesting to me, anyhow, is because I think that in many situations we find ourselves exactly in the predicament that Jehoshaphat and the people of Israel or people of Judah found themselves. They're up against almost an impossible problem, situation, dilemma. And there were a lot of questions, and there was a lot of stress. Everything around them felt like it was crashing down. And the question is always, then and now, what do we do? What do we do? The whole story about Jehoshaphat is found in, begins in chapter 17 and goes through chapter 20. And, and I hope you might take the time to read it because you're going to see in, in all of the events of, of his life, he was a godly man, an honest man. He had good motives. He, he, had, he had troubles. He was persuaded in times to follow other, other leadings rather than, than God. But all in all, Jehoshaphat was just like you and, you and me. You know, he He tried. And we can relate to that. We can relate to that. Listen to what God says as I read it to you out of the first two verses about the predicament that the people of Judah were in and Jehoshaphat in particular. After this, the Moabites and Ammonites and with some of them the Minuites came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Now that's a pile of people, a big pile of people. Some men came and they told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude is, is coming against you from Edom. Now, this is down, you know where the Dead Sea would be. And this would be down on the, on the, the eastern side of the Dead Sea, south and east of the Dead Sea. And they were in big trouble. They were in big trouble. They were in the, what he says, Hazanon Tamar. That's in Gedi. Well, in Gedi was on the west side shore of the Dead Sea. So they were moving already. They were coming uh, up, up, to, up to do battle with Jehoshaphat and Judah. 
And if they were moving through the En that's a very torturous place. It's the steep cliffs and, and huge waterfalls. It's a beautiful little place at the bottom, but it's wicked going up through it. And so we'll hear about that as we get later in the story, and we talk about them going in these big valleys and, and, and those kinds of things. That was in Gedi, coming out of the Dead Sea. Trouble was coming to Jehoshaphat. It was coming in every direction. Three enemies at once. An undefeatable opponent, really. It's like when you get that bad diagnosis. And the doctors say there's nothing we can do. You know, there's always something, you think. Always something. Well, on this earth, sometimes there isn't. And in our earthly ways and means, often there's nothing that can be done. Jehoshaphat was facing that kind of a dilemma. Nothing could be done to stop these. Nothing he could do would stop these enemies. You know, I'm sure that you know people, or you maybe yourself have been in that situation. Felt like you're just trying to take care of business and live your life and not make any big waves and then all of a sudden it seems like the enemies of life come crashing in on us. Every negative thing in the world seems to be working together against us. If so, your immediate response might have been or might be just like Jehoshaphat's. The Bible says in verse 3, he was afraid. Afraid, terrified might be a better word. Alarmed for sure. He was scared stiff. Scared stiff. Because he knew he was in real trouble. His exact words in verse 12, For we are powerless against this great horde. And I love that word, the way ESV translates it, horde. Because that's such an ominous, ominous term. You know, a great multitude, well, that, you know, Jesus fed the multitudes. Doesn't have that ominous tone to it. But if you said Jesus fed the hordes, oh yeah, okay, he was feeding a wild bunch then. So this great horde is, is coming against, the, the, against us, Jehoshaphat says, and we do not know what to do. That's the key word. We do not know what to do. You ever felt that way? Powerless? Not knowing what to do? Well, that's where Jehoshaphat was. And what happened next will be the focus for this morning and for the next couple of weeks. What did Jehoshaphat do and what did God do? Well, from the text this morning, the first thing that Jehoshaphat did was to set his face to seek the Lord. He was afraid. He was terrified in the very next phrase and set his face to seek the Lord. He resolved in the NIV to seek the Lord. In other words, he was getting serious about God. God was all of a sudden the big issue in his mind because he recognized that he had no means at all to come against this enemy. Only God. Only God. Joseph had set his face to seek the Lord and and he prayed what what you and I might call a a prayer of, of despair. Not bad, a prayer of despair. He was at the end of his rope. And that's where seeking God usually starts, doesn't it? It usually begins at a place of our tremendous need or a place of hurt or a place of fear. 
a place of helplessness. People who have a dynamic walk with Christ will, will tell us this, that it's, it's the lack in their life. It's those empty places, those voids, the pain in their life that, that caused them, that drove them, in a sense, to a deeper spiritual experience that ultimately led to an encounter with the power of God. That power may bring healing. That power will for sure bring wholeness. It may bring it in the ways that we were praying and wanted it to happen, or it may be according to the will of God. But you will experience it. You will experience it. That's because when we're confronted with pain or fear, or it, it causes us to sort of cast off the, the spiritual facade and get real with God. Get real. And that's the first thing to do when you want to get serious about God. Get real. Get real. Be transparent. You know, there's not a thing you can say to God that he doesn't already know. If you're angry, express that anger. If you're hurting, express that hurt. He knows. He understands. Being transparent means we, we do away with sort of the, the King James sounding prayers. Now, if you talk in these and thous, that's great. Pray in these and thous. If you don't talk in these and thous, then you might think about praying just the way you talk. God hears you. He knows you. Don't put on a second layer between you, yourself and him. Drop, drop the facades. Be transparent. Don't remind God how lucky he is that, that you believe in him. <laughs> you know, that isn't, that isn't where we are. Don't, don't tell him about all the good things you're doing, about all the times you've attended church and how much you put in the offering and all those kind of things. Don't remind him of all that. He knows. What's the point of the prayer? Lord, I'm scared stiff. I'm scared stiff. I'm hurting. I'm helpless. I'm in trouble. I need you. You know, the good news is when you, you pray that prayer of despair, anytime you pray it, he hears it. And he wants you to pray it anytime you need to pray it, all the time if necessary. You can be completely honest with God. Completely. When you think about it, rationally, he already knows. He already knows. He really wants you to know. And he wants to bring you together so that you're not pretending, so that you're not in a kind of a make-believe. And you can, you can say like, like Jehoshaphat said, God, I'm afraid. I'm terrified. It's too big for me to handle on my own. I can't do anything about this. I need you. I don't know what to do. You know, the important thing in this process is it brings you into the presence of God in a very special, special way. Totally disarmed. Totally disarmed. And the more time you spend in the presence of God, the closer you'll get to His peace and His purpose and His power. 
Jehoshaphat said during his prayer of despair in verse 9, if disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house, the temple. That's where he was talking about the temple. And, and before you, because the temple is where God inhabited his house. Your name is in this house, he said, and cry out to you in our affliction that you will hear and save. Getting serious with God begins spending time in his presence. That's what it that's what it 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 means and that's where it starts. Standing before him and, and pouring out your heart openly and honestly before him, being transparent before God. So what needs do we have? What needs do you have? What needs do we have as a church? We need to pour them out before God. We need to admit that we can't fix things like we would like to be able to fix them. God, we need you. We need you. Help me. Help me. The second piece about getting serious with God that, that we, can, we can bring right out of this experience of Jehoshaphat is, is to give ourselves, to giving of ourselves to him, to others, a personal sacrifice, if you would. In a business setting, you might call it a demonstration of good faith, although that's a little trite with God. It's our voice of saying, though, that we're serious, that we're, we're making a commitment to you, O oh God. We'll do all our part, as small as it is, as small as it may be. And in faith, Lord, we're, we're trusting for you to do your part which is grander and greater than anything we can think or imagine. When Jehoshaphat seriously began to seek the Lord, and he stepped out and invited the entire nation to seek God with him, the Bible says this right there in verse 3 and 4, he proclaimed a fast through all Judah, and Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. They fasted. You know, there's something about fasting that pleases God. It isn't to make you skinny if it's fasting from food. But there's something about fasting that brings us closer to God. You know, if you want to get serious about seeking God, then you might think about the idea of fasting. In the Old Testament, it was, it was a plenty. It happened all the time. In the New Testament, it happened many times. Jesus fasted. A number of ways you can go about it. For example, you can be food and you can do away with eating food or certain foods for a certain period of time. Or it can be TV or it can be video games. It can be the internet. It can be any number of things. Try doing without them for a spell. But not just doing without. It's not the doing without. It's doing without in a, in a manner that you can be closer to God. You can spend more time maybe in His Word, in prayer, seeking His face like Jehoshaphat and the people of Israel. It's a way of saying, God, I'm, I'm, moving, I'm moving this out of my life for a season so that I can create more space in my life for you. You know, right after the, the attacks on 9-11, we've celebrated that this past week, remembered it. 
There was a school teacher by the name of Gary Weddle. He said he would fast from shaving until Obama, Osama bin Laden was captured. You know, and I, he wasn't joking. He started growing this beard. You know, 10 years it was. Ten years later, this guy had a beard that went clear down below his waist when finally he shaved it off. Now, I don't know if his decision about shaving had any spiritual motivations. I kind of doubt. But I do know this. He was serious about his commitment. You can imagine what a shaggy dog he looked like. Imagine that if we brought that same level of commitment, though, in our efforts to seek God, not suggesting you grow a beard, but imagine what would happen if, if, if you, if we said, God, I need you so much in my life that I'm willing to sacrifice. I'm willing to make that kind of a commitment to sacrifice comfort, convenience, even necessity, whatever it takes, in order to experience your presence in my life. You know, getting serious about God involves being transparent, for sure. And it also involves being honest about our true need. It involves giving ourselves into that process. It requires sacrifice. It's not that we're earning God's favor. It's that we're demonstrating to Him and to ourselves and to all that look in upon the situation that we're involved in that we're committed We're committed to God. We are committed. Another step in gearing serious with God is is to listen. Listen for when God speaks. Listen for His voice. In this story, we see that after the the people of Judah poured out their hearts in God's presence, after they called upon Him for help and, and they came before Him in prayer and fasting, God began to speak to them. How did He do it? Well, look at verse 13. All Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones and their wives and their children. Can you see that? I mean, you get a vision of helplessness. The babies, the children, the families, they're standing there. They're not warriors standing with their shields and praying that God would help them go to battle. They're helpless before the Lord. Their little ones, their wives, their children. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehazel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaniah, the son of Jael, the son of Mahatanai. You could be next. The son of Benaniah, the son of Jael, the son of, of a Levite, the sons of Asaph, and in the midst of the assembly. This, this man, this, this Levite man was touched by the Spirit of God. And in verse 15, he said, Listen, all of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you. Thus says the Lord to you. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed at this great horde. For the battle is not yours, but God's. That's good news. That's that's real good news. You know, that's something you can count on. 
At last, something that's positive. After a season of getting serious with God and, and seeking God and, and knowing that this, this vast army is coming to, to destroy us, there will come a time when you will hear, if you seek, thus saith the Lord to you. Maybe it will come directly from a passage of Scripture. Maybe it will come from the words of a sermon. Maybe it will come from the words of a trusted friend or a counselor or an advisor. Maybe it will still come from just that inner witness of God's Spirit to your spirit inside. But there will come a time, God will speak, when you know that you know that you know that God is saying, do this, do that, if you're listening. If you're not listening, you'll likely miss it. Seeking God involves listening, listening. It involves being attentive to His voice, expecting His voice. It's, it's not like God's hiding from us, like God's trying to keep us in the dark. He won't always remain silent. There can be those periods, but, but it isn't forever. He will speak if we'll wait and we'll listen. You know, Jesus often said, He who has ears to hear, what? let him hear, right? He's talking about being spiritually attentive to the voice of God. And, and that's what, what is happening here in this story of Jehoshaphat and Judah. But there's more. Once we hear, we need to make a decision to trust. In other words, it isn't just listening and saying, oh, goody, God's going to take care of it. No, we've got to trust that this is going to happen because there's going to be a part in this for us. When God begins to speak to his people through the prophet, what did he say to them? Well, look again at verse 15. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. For the battle is not yours, but God's. You know, he's right at the very top of the list. He's saying, trust me. Trust me. This isn't your battle. This isn't your battle. And, and I know they're probably sitting there saying, yeah, but... They're over there and we're right here and they're going to come here with their spears and swords and stuff and we're the ones that's going to be on the receiving end. But God was saying, it's my battle. You've got to trust if you're going to believe that. In verse 17, you will not need to fight in this battle, God said. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. Old Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. Said it a second time. Tomorrow go out against them and the Lord will be with you. You know, there are times, indeed most of the time, when we don't like all the details. We don't like them. We don't exactly know how God is going to work through a situation and we sort of like take the shortcuts. We really, though, don't need to know, do we? We just need to trust. We just need to trust Him to do what He tells us to do and what He says He will do. When you're seeking God, there comes a time when you, you need to draw a land in the sand and say, I may not know what God's up to. I may not know why this situation has found me. 
but I choose to trust Him. I refuse to give in to doubt. I refuse to give in to fear. I refuse to give in to despair or discouragement. I'm going to trust Him enough to do what He tells me to do. You know, like the old hymn that we sing, Trust and Obey. Well, there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. There's an unbreakable connection between trust and obedience. And if you're struggling with obedience, if you're struggling there, if if that's on the, the forefront, it might be because you haven't settled the question of trust. Getting serious with God involves a conscious choice to trust God. Let me give you the final aspect that I have this morning about getting serious with God. And that is a commitment to praise and worship. (laughs) And we see it right here in this text. Verse 18, when Jehoshaphat bowed his head, then Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites and the Kohanites and the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. I love that image. The image of these verses. The people fell down in worship, and then they stood on their feet, Win praise. Here's what I want you to consider. If the only time you engage in praise and and worship is on Sunday, when the music is playing and, and the choir is singing, then you're not doing enough. You're not doing enough. Praise and worship need to be a part of your daily life, a part of your private life. If you want to get serious about seeking God, then we need to make it a point to spend time alone each day, bowing a knee before Him in worship and standing before Him in praise. You know, as we explore in these coming weeks this story of Jehoshaphat, we're going to to read and learn that God came through for the people of Israel and for this king. He saved them from their enemies, just like he said he would. And he blessed their nation. And it happened because Jehoshaphat believed God and surrendered himself to seriously seek God. He got honest with God. He prayed. He fasted. He listened. He trusted. He worshiped. Jehoshaphat surrendered himself to God so that he wouldn't have to surrender himself or his nation to his enemies. When trouble comes, and it will come, God is ready to lead you in his victory. Take the first step of seeking him with your whole heart. Take the first step of surrendering yourself completely to Him. And it's not a one-time event. It's a process over and over.